When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orspano, and I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our new YouTube channel. And from now on, we'll be releasing episodes every other week. But don't worry, we're still recapping all your favorite episodes, chatting with amazing guests, and... Answering your questions. So email us what you want to know at clearisefullheartspod at gmail.com today. Season 3, Episode 10, The Giving Tree, written by Liz Heldens and directed by David Boyd. Here's our NBC synopsis. Lila loses faith in her father after he loses her college fund. There's a lot to unpack in this episode, but first, we're going to answer a few of your fan questions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our first fan question comes from Brian Farmer, who writes, In earlier seasons of the show, the writers focused on three football positions, quarterback, running back, and fullback. It was not until the later seasons that we see them focus on tight ends and linebackers. My question is whether any thought was given to having a wide receiver character on the show or any defensive players. My second question is, why don't we get the first question out of the way first? <laughs> yeah, man, I, we do focus way more on offensive positions. We did focus a little bit on Santiago in season two. Santiago was a linebacker, but there's really not a lot of emphasis put on defensive players. I think maybe it's just because it's not sexy. There's not a lot going on. Look, I play defense all through high school. I love defense. I love smacking guys. I love hitting guys. That was my favorite part of playing football. But yeah, they don't get the glory the same way that offensive players do, especially the way a quarterback or running back does. I know that they had tried at one point to bring a wide receiver character onto the show and they were putting a little bit more emphasis on that character. And then that actor, I don't want to name names, wound up getting another gig. So kind of just went away. But yeah, that kind of stuff happens sometimes on the show. I don't know if if they ever plan on really doing a lot with characters defensively. But your second question says, what were some of the NFL teams that different actors supported? Did any of the actors go to watch NFL games together? And the answer to that question is, yes, we went to watch NFL games all the time. Sometimes we went to live NFL football games. I mean, I know Zach Guilford, I believe he and Scott Porter went to the Super mm -hmm. Bowl together when the Bears played the Colts in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. 
But Zach's a huge Chicago Bears fan. Brad Leland is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. He also went to Texas Tech, so he's a Texas Tech Red Raider. Scott Porter is a diehard Denver Bronco fan and also a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. Adrian Palicki is a Michigan Wolverines fan. I don't know that she's got an NFL team. Do you know, Stace? Yeah, Cleveland. Oh, she's a Cleveland fan. I didn't know. (laughs) I am a diehard Miami Dolphin fan. And I'm crossing my fingers because this year we might actually be good. I also went to school at Baylor University, so I'm a huge Baylor football fan. But I grew up in Miami, as I said, so I'm also a diehard Hurricanes fan. So that's always a point of contention. Thank God those two teams don't play each other very often. Louie Ann Stevens, who played Grandma Saracen, is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Stacy, what about you? Listen, they paid my way through college. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Do you have a college football team? I don't think you do. No. So I went to university in London and we don't have football teams and fraternities and sororities over there. So I don't, if anything, I root for UT if they're playing just because it feels at home. But I like missed all of that whole American college experience, going to football games and yeah, and like Greek life and whatever. I didn't do any of that. What's your Quidditch team? Stacy, <laughs> Slytherin, let's go. Of course you're Slytherin. Are you really Slytherin? <laughs> no, I'm a Huff. I'm the boring. Actually, yes, that would make I'm more sense. I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> They're the like weirdo outcasts. I'm Gryffindor. I don't know if you yeah, knew that. Whatever. I've taken like 15 tests and they all tell me I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> anyway. Our next question comes from Janice Barnes, who asked, you have mentioned the call sheet a couple of times. How is that created? And do egos ever get in the way? I will tell you, not on our show, egos didn't get in the way. I have seen it happen in my acting class, though. A girl had a mental breakdown because she was number four on the call sheet of her new show. And I laughed so hard, I almost peed in my pants. And my teacher made me leave the room. Okay, so number one, the call sheet is something that is put together by the first AD. The call sheet is just a call sheet. It literally is just a thing that lets us know when we have to be at work the next day and what we're actually shooting. The reason we bring it up, though, is because the way it works is that the lead of the show or the leads of the show are the first names on the call sheet. On our particular show, I'm positive Kyle was number one. Mm -hmm. I'm almost positive Connie was number two. Connie's two. Taylor Kitsch was number three, if I'm not mistaken. And then from there... Annie might have been three and then Taylor four. Honestly, I couldn't tell you three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I know I was like 12 or 13, depending on the episode. I was, again, I think 42B. The only time my ego has been affected by the call sheet is when I'm so far down the list on the call sheet where you're like number 55 on the call sheet. You're like, wow. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not always 100% matter of importance to the show or, or number of lines or all that stuff. Number one... One and number two, yeah, most, yeah, most of the time, like, yes, it's, they're, they're the, the leads. leads of the show. And we mm-hmm. take our cue off them and how they act on set. So when I did Bunheads, I was number seven on the call sheet because we shot the pilot and Ben Vereen was in our pilot and he played a guy named Michael and he was number six. We had to reshoot the pilot because we recast one character and Ben Vereen wasn't available. So we took his part out of the pilot, but that character named Michael came back like 13 episodes later with a new actor and he got number six and I was still number seven. Yeah, so that stuff happens too. I mean, like I've been on shows where I'm like, I've got a huge part in this episode, but I'm like number 89 on the call sheet. But sometimes it doesn't matter. Look, as an actor, to me personally, it doesn't matter at all. But yes, I've seen actors get upset about where they're listed on the call sheet. I've seen actors get upset about the wardrobe that they're wearing, about the makeup that they have to wear or hairstyle that they... The size of their trailer. Yeah, the size of their trailer. 
color, the hotels that they're staying in. Mm -hmm. You name it, probably we've seen somebody get upset. There's been a couple of times I've had a a, a few moments on one set in particular where, and I don't want to say what, but it was just... (laughs) It wasn't being run professionally and it wasn't so much what was going on with me, but there was a kid in the show that we were working on and they were just not following union rules. It was an indie yep. and yep. it was something where yep. I finally kind of lost it. I had a little blow up, but yeah, I mean, those things happen. But no, I, I don't remember anyone on our show ever having a problem with where they were on the call sheet. If anything, it was like a joke. But Kyle did love number one on the call sheet, number one in your hearts, and then he'd walk away. <laughs> I would occasionally like jokingly be like, I'm number 14 on the call sheet or whatever it was. Our final question comes from Josh Ryder, who says, perhaps this is not a question, but I would love to hear you both respond to my personal belief that Billy and Mindy grew over the arc of the show as they drew inspiration from Eric and Tammy. Josh says, I have always believed that the years after the show, both Billy and Mindy grew in character to fill the void in town after the Taylor family moved. Yeah, I 100% believe that Mindy and Billy grew because of Coach. I don't know that Mindy knew that, but I think Billy definitely looked up the coach as a form of inspiration, especially by the time the uh, fifth season rolls around. He even goes into his office and says, I want to be a molder of men. And that's Mm -hmm. what you are. I think Billy, after he has kids, realizes that he wants to try to end the Riggins family curse of being jackasses. That's what did it for me, for Mindy, was becoming maternal, either towards Becky or our own kids. Mm -hmm. There was like a shift that happened in her. Yeah. I don't know that they ever 100% filled the void in Dillon, Texas, because even in that fifth season, it's one step forward, two steps back. Also, I would feel terrible for the high school that had to have Mindy as a principal. So like, (sighs) yes, but maybe not the exact follow in their footsteps. We're going to talk later in this episode about how we think maybe Tammy had some skeletons in her closet from her teenage years and maybe college years. I don't know that being an exotic dancer was one of them. But maybe. No. I think that's it for the question part of our show, Stace. You ready to move into the, the rewatch? Sure. Let's do it. How many freaking boys are in that car? <laughs> it appears there's seven boys in that car. Seven testosterone-filled young men Ooh, that <laughs> in that car. stinky. Stinky and definitely a safety hazard. I'm guessing there's not enough seatbelts to go around. Another, as Buddy would say, clown car full of idiots. Yes. A little yes. bit. I found myself getting unnecessarily angry that they were shooting scenes at the landing strip and I wasn't there. You know what? I do the same thing. Whenever they shoot a scene in the Riggins house, I'm like, where's Billy? At least say my name. Why is Billy not in the Riggins house? That's my house. What are these people doing in my house? I mean, I'm paying the bills on that house. Right. Where's Mindy, guys? What are you doing? Yeah, where's Mindy? But you know who is at the landing strip? One buddiest Garretius. That's the thing. I thought he was my customer. Right? Because we had spoken about him being the best customer at the landing strip, and I was beginning to doubt that. But here we are. Buddy's at the landing strip having the time of his life. Asking his friend, who I don't quite get their dynamic, I guess, buddy. They went on on a deal together. I don't know if this guy's like some kind of financial planner or it seems a little sketchier than that. Investing in something. But I do like Buddy asks him, oh, not him, but like the guy behind him. Do you need silence to watch naked women? It's like really a universal question, I would think, for everybody. Are you asking me? Actually, no, please don't answer that question. (laughs) Also, 
Bunny gets in a fight. With his financial advisor, who, I mean, this guy seems like a real slime ball. And the actor they cast for it's great. He kind of has a smarmy little kind of look to him. We don't know what this, <laughs> this investment was that Buddy was a part of. I don't know if he was buying oceanfront property in Arizona or what was going on, but apparently it went south. And then Buddy beats the snot out of this guy, winds up getting kicked out of the landing strip. And we find out that Buddy basically lost $70,000 worth of money. And also did $30,000 worth of damage to the yeah. landing strip. There is nothing like getting arrested in the daytime at a strip club. Am I right or what? Are you right? You never been arrested in the daytime at a strip club, Stace? I have never been arrested, period. And um, not at a strip club. Have you? I plead the fifth. I've never been arrested at a strip club. I will say that. All right. Okay. I just have to say we were right. Matt and Julie did do the deed. And I thought this scene was just kind of sweet. And then in bed and then coach, oh, he just opens the door. And I was like, you know, when you're watching a horror movie and yes. you put your hands above your eyes and I was watching it through like a sliver in my fingers because I was mortified. It's a weird thing because yes, I was mortified. I was scared for the monster and I was scared. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was scared for the monster. I, well, that's the thing. It was, I, was I more scared for the monster in this circumstance, the monster being coached coming in to destroy these two children? My heart was pounding. And then the worst part is Julie like gets in the car and nothing is said. But you can oh, see God. the smoke coming out of Coach's ears. And I'm just like, Ugh. it was just uncomfortable. And oh, I'm dying. Another awkward car ride in Dillon, Texas. Yes. You know what it reminds me of? It's like, have you ever watched a movie with your parents? And there's like a real graphic, like nude sex scene. Yes, Big Lebowski. I have PTSD from it. I like, like I almost don't enjoy that movie anymore because it takes me back to that place. No, I've definitely done that. I've definitely like been the one to recommend a movie on like a movie night. Like, oh, you guys mm -hmm. will love this. And then you're like halfway through the movie and then you go, oh, I totally forgot about that scene. Yeah. And then there's like a graphic sex scene and your mom's sitting next to you. I can't, I can't. Meanwhile, I love how the other members of Crucifictorious call Landry out on letting Tyra run all over him. Have I mentioned how damn charming that I think Stephanie Hunt is? She's ridiculous. She really is. So cute. I just love her. It's her giant Disney princess eyes. But I do like that these guys are finally telling Landry, like, hey, man, can't let this woman run you over like that. Yeah, everybody in his life is seeing it. Except him. Okay, so Tammy comes over to tell Lila that her dad's been arrested and is in jail. And then she says, feel free to come over to our house, blah, blah, blah. I don't buy that Lila wouldn't feel safe or comfortable in her own house, that she would go over to the Taylor's house. She would stay at home and like order crazy food and invite Riggins over. I don't understand why she had to go stay at the Taylor's house. I hear you. I hear you. But I do love the fact that we get some Julie and Lila time together. That's always That's fun. the thing that it did for me, but I don't feel it was earned. You felt like it was contrived? Yeah, it wasn't earned. So that's all I'm saying there. No, that's fair. I always try to find a way to defend the show, but I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you on this. I do feel like that's kind of a contrived little moment. Because even if I was a kid, I'd be like, I'm fine for one night by myself. Calm down. I'm going to go stay in a house I've never stayed at before. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I mean, what kind of relationship does she have with Coach and Tammy? None. But I do love what the result is, which is that we get to have this cool little couple of scenes. Yeah, Julie does need to talk to a girl about the changes in her life. I... Do love that coach can't even look Tammy in the eyes while they're having this conversation about their daughter. I mean, I know we talk about it ad nauseum on here, but it's just another great scene with these two. Their chemistry is just off the freaking charts. I love how Connie 
is just wide-eyed through the whole entire thing. I mean, she sits up in bed and her eyes go wide. And another thing that I love about this show is just the way that they shoot this scene. Tammy's just washed her face. So Connie, the actress, has no makeup on in this scene. Mm -hmm. I can't think of too many shows where a lead actor, male or female, would be comfortable without makeup. Kyle, I don't think, ever wore makeup on the show. Like, we always had to go into hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. That was like the first thing that you do when you come to set. And like, I'd be in the makeup chair and Kyle would walk in, he'd grab some hair product and go... And then he go. I don't think he ever wore makeup. I think part of that was they want a coach to look a little rough. I look a little rough as it is. I need them to make me look a little prettier. I need that concealer, baby. But yeah, I, I just thought it was like really brave of her to do that. But it's also yeah. like really brave of any actor to do that. But it just adds to the realism on this show. There's no sexy lingerie. She's in a beat up old t-shirt with a hand-me-down bed frame. It just feels real. I had buddies of mine whose parents were teachers when I was in high school. And when you went over to their house, it wasn't like some beautiful Hollywood set. It was this bed came from a neighbor who had passed away. This couch came from so-and-so. There's not a lot of money. My brother and his wife are both teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a tough living, especially if both of you are teachers. I mean, that's not a lot of income. No. And I love that the show just embraces it. They don't try to make it some Hollywood set. It just feels real. And I like it. It does. It feels real. It feels lived in. It's, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out Buddy's financial problems. Yeah. He sold that house to you guys. So like yes. he got that chunk of money, but then he also just used up all of Lila's college fund. And I can't figure out on what, unless that was like the 70,000 he gave that guy that we don't know what it was for. I'm confused by it. But also during this scene, I found myself saying, Bradley Leland, I love you so much. Yeah, I'm a little confused by it too. I'm going to be honest with you, but I went back and just thought about it. Okay, number one, we don't know how much money Buddy Garrity's got. We always just assumed he was wealthy. I always thought that that was kind of the whole entire it point was that like the Garrity's kind of had a silver spoon. He owns the car dealership. But I'm guessing, okay, between child support and alimony, this bad business deal that left him out $70,000, $30,000 in damage at the landing strip, not to mention, and you got to put this in context, it is 2008, and we're smack dab in the middle of the Great Recession where the stock market had dropped by 50%. So I think partially it might have been the writers writing about, write about what you know, write about what's actually happening in the world right now. I'm trying to defend it because I always thought that Buddy mm -hmm. Garrity had more money than this too. I hear you. He wouldn't be paying alimony though because she got remarried, but the rest of it stands. Oh, is that how that works? Yes. I don't know. Thank God I've never had to deal with that. But don't you have to pay something, Stace? Child support. You pay alimony until your other partner gets married. Then you're no longer on the hook for taking care of your wife. Huh. Unless it's in your prenup that you guys gotcha. sorted something out before. Oh my God, let's talk. Welcome to our prenup podcast. Yeah, what are I we don't know. doing Whoa. today? Landry? Yes. Landry? Landry? Yes. Set those boundaries. It is time. He was right. And I was full force cheerleading him on in this moment. I was too. And I was sitting there going, good for you, Landry. But it is hard for me to watch this scene because I feel like I've been on both sides of this. I have been the giver in a relationship and not been given anything back, but I've also yeah. been the taker. And it's yeah. hard to watch this. I think knowing that I've been the taker in some relationships and going, I think I've been Tyra once or twice in my life. Have you, Stace? No, I'm a giver. You've always been the giver? Yeah, to a fault. What's my love language, though? I was sick, guys, like a couple months back on the podcast. And like, I got a 24-pack of chicken noodle soup from <laughs> Stacy, And the most amazing socks in the whole wide world. Yes. And I got some <laughs> socks with my dog Lucy's face on them. And <laughs> I've got my Yeti yeah. right here that I'm drinking out of. Yep. It's delicious. I don't work for Yeti. 
I'd like to because I love. No, but product. I did give him one for Stacey his birthday. Got me a Yeti. I love giving birthday. gifts. Mm-hmm. That's a whole thing. So, uh, yay, Landry! A little bit of like a, a backbone that I'm excited to see. We'll see what happens. I figured out what my love language is, Stacy. Oh God, what is it? Food. Bluntness. <laughs> Terrible love language. I think so. Ooh. I'll tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. Yeah. That's my love language. I mean, in a way that is love, but woof. Yeah. moving forward, this Tammy Julie scene is where my favorite Amy T. Garden comes in. Amy can be so present and so grounded and so real. And I just absolutely adore her when she gets to do moments like this. And at the same time, I'm also not a mother. I cannot fathom how hard this talk must be for Tammy to have with her daughter. I'm right there with you. I love this scene for Amy. I mean, I always love Connie. I love both of them. The problem with Amy a lot of the time, since it's not Amy, it's, it's Julie, is that Julie is a little bit of a snot. You know what I mean? But when yeah. she gets to have these moments where it's like, she's not being a little snot. She's just having a real conversation. It's the same kind of moment that she had with Coach. Remember that scene where she goes and meets the Swede at the bar yeah. that one night? And turns out the Swede has eyes for a bunch of different women and coach picks her up and she just breaks down crying. It's it's a similar scene to that. Once that tough facade is kind of broken down, that tough teenage facade, and we see what's going on in this little kid. Because that's the weird thing about growing up, man, is you are like, you're so close to being an adult. It's that struggle, but there's still a child there. Are you about to sing Britney Spears? I'm not a girl. (laughs) No, I'm not. That was about this show. (laughs) Ah, but God, it's just a beautiful scene. I love that it's not an argument. And I love that the two of them are just sitting there talking and they listen to each other. A lot of times they don't. And I don't mean the actresses. I mean the, the the characters. And we just discussed before this that maybe Tammy had some regrets from her teenage years. And it really kind of shows in this scene. When she starts to well up with tears, you see, it's like, I just don't want you to make the mistakes I made. She doesn't say that, Mm -hmm. but it feels like that's what's being said underneath it all. Maybe I'm just reading into it. The one that killed me and one that I espouse in the same way is just because you said yes one time doesn't mean you have to every time. Like you have to listen to yourself and figure out where you are and what you're comfortable with. But that one's a hard one, especially for like a teenager. It's too complicated. It's these kind of conversations, though, when you're growing up that create that kind of unbreakable bond between a parent and a child. As we were talking about earlier, yes. Okay, Stacey, I was arrested. I got a public intoxication when I was in college. And I had to call my father on the phone and tell him what was going on. And this was like that first moment, as I was saying before, you're borderline child adult. You're in that in-between area. And I remember having to call my father on the phone and just fess up to it and say, hey, I got drunk and I got arrested and this is what's happening, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to lecture right now. I just want to Mm -hmm. tell you what's going on. And I made a mistake and I screwed up and I got in trouble and school found out and I might wind up getting kicked out of school. And it was tough to have that conversation with my dad. But it's funny because my dad and I had this kind of like rough relationship at that point in time where really the only thing we could talk about was sports. Mm. And it wasn't a conversation. It was just me talking. I got done and he goes, I'm upset that you did this because of what's going to happen to you and the, the trouble you might get in. But I'm proud of you because this is the first time that you were man enough to come to me and tell me what was going on. And from that point on, it was like, we became almost like peers. I still go to my father almost everything. I call him all the time, any kind of piece of advice I need or whatever, mundane stuff. Like I'm thinking about buying a new TV and I called him and I said, 
you know, I'm thinking about this TV. What do you think about this? You know, whatever. That relationship between the, the, the figurehead who is the person who is telling you what to do all the time and then mm-hmm. the person who you go to for advice because he's a legitimate friend and you know he cares about you. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of transition that happens from childhood into adulthood in that relationship. And maybe I'm reading into it too much, but it seems like that's what I'm seeing in this scene. And I love it. I was totally pissed at her earlier in this episode for treating Landry like crap, but then she goes and completely and totally redeems herself by booking his band at the bar. I think that might be the same bar that the Swede played in that we were talking about earlier. Oh, it did look like that. Is it the Continental Club? Oh, I don't think so. You don't? Okay. No. I was in a band in high school. Go on. We were good. We were called Wild Horses, but then we changed our name to The Morning People, which was way better. We got to play at like a couple of Battle of the Bands in bars, except that we were like 16 and whatever. So like a parent had to be there. And but like we beat out a bunch of adult bands. We were good. That's cool. In another life, I'm going to have musical talent. Okay. Maybe that's what heaven is, is I get to learn how to play an instrument and actually You're enjoy just one up there the playing the harp. I can't imagine if I get up to the gates of heaven and it's your face, I'm going to be like, what did I do? What makes you think I'm going to be there before you? I treat my body like a temple. To be fair, I do fall down a lot. (laughs) (laughs) There's a very good chance you get there before I do, stumbling over a curb or something. Yep, absolutely. Stairs. Stairs and mirror bad. Meanwhile, when Matt shows up at the door to pick Julie up on this date where they're going to the movies and Tammy says, oh, by the way, coach is out back. Why don't you go wait out there? And his eyes go wide. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I couldn't have it. I had an audible, like, bust out giggling. Like, <laughs> it's like a scared giggle, but it was a giggle nonetheless. It's so uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, but Kyle does it well. I also just like watching our characters do really domestic things. And there was something about <laughs> Kyle in like sweats and jeans scrubbing a grill that I was like, yeah, that's absolutely what a dad at home would be doing. But I have to say, thinking about, <laughs> I don't mean this to sound this way, but thinking about Kyle in those jeans. Kyle and I both have a pair of real paratrooper World War II paratrooper boots with like a steel toe in the, oh, the, in jump the front. Boots? We have jump boots. Oh, those and are bad. I was telling him how you're supposed to break them in is you put your barefoot in it and then you put it in hot water. Like you essentially just put your feet in the tub. And so then the leather starts to mold around your foot. So I was telling him how to do his paratrooper boots. And he was like, Stace, you know, that's what you're supposed to do with like a really good pair of jeans too. Like brand new jeans, you put them on and then you sit in a hot bath and they like mold to that shape and stay that shape for you. And I haven't done it because it sounds so uncomfortable. Is this true or is this something where it's like the jeans are going to bolt to you and you're not going to be able to get them off? It's like they won't lose that shape that fits you really well, even when you put them through the dryer and stuff. Kyle has done it with like really good jeans. I'm just saying, you guys, I know some stuff about Kyle Chandler and, and jeans and jumper boots. I don't know about this. This jean conversation reminds me of snipe hunting. I don't know what snipe hunting is. Snipe hunting is like when a person's never been hunting before. They mm-hmm. take you out there and they go, hey, man, we're going to go snipe hunting right now. And usually it's at like night. So you go out there and they go, all right, man, you've never been snipe hunting before. Here's what you do. All right, we're going to give you this net. All right. And we're going to go out there in this field. We're going to stir up all them snipe. You got this net here. They're going to come at you. And you're like, what does a snipe look like? They'll give you some BS description of it. And they all go off, go stir up the snipe. And then they just take off back to the ranch house and leave you out in the middle of the woods to find your way back. Wow, that's really mean. I'm wondering if that's what this deal is with these jeans too, Stace. 
you get in there, it's like putting water in your car engine because it's you just think fire. Kyle thought it would be funny for me to be uncomfortable sitting fully clothed in a hot bath. Yes. It really would be so uncomfortable. The thought, like it yeah. gives me, it gives me hives to think about it. I do <laughs> wonder what damage Betty did to the landing strip. That's thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of money. It's two places you don't want to mess around in the world, though. Mm-hmm. Strip clubs and casinos. Those two places. You just play yeah. by the rules in there. You play yeah. by the rules. And there's, there's all kinds of shady stuff and shady people. So he broke a a bottle of you know Louis the Fourteenth, and they're going to charge him thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, I one time was at a club in Fort Worth that I was going to name, but I'm actually not going to name it because I don't know if it's still open. But I fell in the bathroom and my face hit the like metal trash can that's in the wall. So I like broke my nose, broke my jaw. I had amnesia for three months and a terrible concussion. And as I was coming to, I was like full of adrenaline. So I looked like a monster, but it didn't hurt. They put a piece of paper in front of me and had me sign it to say that I wouldn't sue them. Yeah. And I signed it because I didn't know what I was doing because I had completely broken my entire face. Like, that's, was it like, hey, ladies, pretty, pretty here's smart. the deal. We're going to have you sign this little paper here. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. we're going to break your other nose. Yeah. Please go to the hospital, but first sign this piece of paper. <laughs> to our listeners out there, do not mess around in strip clubs or casinos. And apparently Russia. Don't go bringing weed into Russia. That's oh, God, that is a lot. Okay, I don't want to sound like a naysayer. I just, there were some things that stuck out in the show to me that I just went, eh, the rest of it was so good. But like 100 here for me, Riggins tells JD that he's a leader. I have not ever seen that from JD. I'm not buying it. I don't think Tim buys it. I don't know if he's just trying to talk him up. I don't get it. Oh, no, I, I don't think that Tim thinks that he is a leader in any way, shape or form. But the quarterback of any football team is a leader. Now, that doesn't mean Should that JD be. is a leader, but I think what he was saying is, bro, as quarterback, you are a leader. You need to be a leader. I don't think he was legitimately saying, you're a leader. I look up to you. No, you need to start doing leadership type things like having sex with chicks that want to have sex with, with Madison. Yeah. Not good advice, but that's what he was saying. Maybe I misread it, but I don't think he was saying that JD, like you shown leadership qualities. No, I think he was saying you need to start acting like a leader. I hear you. I think what I wanted from that was I'm waiting now for JD to step. I want to see JD step up into this role because of that sentence. I would like to see him become a leader. You could say that about guys in the NFL, though. I mean, there are quarterbacks who have amazing skill sets. They're great clock management. They have arms that are shotguns, but they don't have leadership skills. They're not the kind of guys you want to go into battle with. And right now, that's who J.D. is. J.D.'s got all the fundamentals, but I don't think any of these guys look up to him. The team thinks he's a joke. They make fun of him. They basically took him snipe hunting that first day, if you remember correctly. I have never seen somebody grab dirt and throw it in somebody's eyes on the field, but it's like maniacally brilliant and so mean. We played some teams when I was in high school. I mean, the bottom of the pile, guys getting leg hairs ripped out, people twisting (gasps) ankles, punches, fingers to the eyeball. They would take your hairs out? Oh, yeah. I mean, it got (laughs) nasty. There were guys I knew that peed in their uniforms so that people wouldn't want to block them. I have some basketball player friends that when they go pee during a game, they won't wash their hands. So they know that like their hands go touch the yeah, ball that just, the other team is playing. I mean, gross stuff. We used to play some teams and I won't say what teams when I was in high school because I don't want to completely and totally diss a whole entire region. But it was small school football, but we'd go play teams in these smaller towns like Friday Night Lights. The whole entire town shut down for this game on Friday night. You're four hours away from home. It's a small town in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. The refs are local. The fans are drunk and disorderly. 
I mean, it was really shady going down to play at some of these places. Grown adults, like, throwing beers at kids on the sidelines. I mean, nasty stuff. We had a lot of games where it was like the minute the game is over with, coaches getting us on the buses, don't take your helmets off. There was an episode of Friday Night Lights where that actually happens, where they're throwing beers and beer cans at the kids and keep your helmets on even when we're on the bus because you don't want to get hit with something. It's real. Trust me, when there's stuff on this show that isn't, I'll call it out. But that's very... No, I definitely think, especially yeah. if like if that guy's so fast and he thinks he's going to get away with it. Can't even imagine even the shadier things that some people are doing. Oof, this oh, is yeah, why I don't play and, contact yeah. sports. <laughs> don't touch me, please. <laughs> I do want to say, coach, I guess, gets discharged from the game. He walks to a... <laughs> it seems like he literally left the stadium and walked right across the street. Yeah, because not a lot of time had passed. No, there wasn't even a cut. It was like he walked out and then there's a bar. The only bar I know that close to a field is our Dylan Panther field, where when you guys were on the field, me, Connie, and Annie would go to the Mexican restaurant right next to it and drink margaritas. Was that the Mexican restaurant, like where Kyle walked into? Was that the place? No. I never actually went with you guys to that because you guys were always wrapped way before I was. Or we had to sit around and wait for, if we had three hours to sit around and wait for you guys, we were like, let's go eat chips and salsa. Like, what are we doing? At our base camp, guys, where all of our trailers and stuff were, it was right there. So they knew us very well by the the end of our seasons. Stacy, I got in trouble back in the day when I was doing Of Mice and Men at Dallas Theater Center because my dad got me, this is way before cell phones. Got a little radio? No, not a radio. I had a portable TV player. So I had like a little portable TV backstage with headphones and I would sit there and watch football games. Like I'd do it in the middle of the show. When I was playing Curly, like Curly comes on like once every 20 minutes. So I had plenty of time to go backstage and watch it. So I do love that moment because it's kind of perfect. He finds the first place that he can. Meanwhile, I do have to say Crucifictorious has gotten way better since the first season of the show. Oh, I couldn't even understand them in the first season. Now they're like a fully like formed band with an identity. I have a buddy of mine who's a musician. He said, everyone starts out with death metal when they're a guitarist. Like that's yeah. the, you want to learn playing like all this loud stuff. Got a shred. And he said, yeah. And then as you progress as a musician, that changes. And maybe that's what's going on here. Crucifictorious has gotten a little lighter because they started out as kind of like Jesus death rock. Jesus death metal. Yeah. And now they're a little bit more like an indie band. And I like it. I like it. I like it. I think Devin's brought something special to, to Crucifictorious. She's also brought something special to our lives just by yes. being Stephanie and adorable. I got to say, another solid episode here. I'm loving season three. Listen, as much as I nitpicked, I love where our characters are going. I love what's happening. I'm so on board. I like that you nitpick. I take it a little <laughs> personally sometimes because I'm like, don't say anything bad about Friday Night Lights. But you're right. Sometimes there are times where you got to go, yeah, that seems a little far-fetched. That's not real. I'm glad you do. All right, Stace. I think we're done here. Guys, that is it for season three, episode 10. But please join us next time for season three, episode 11, entitled A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't, can't lose. lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to Pod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Orstano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. 
check us out on YouTube and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.